This morning, I am not going to preach. I'm going to tell a story. The Bible is full of stories. God tells a lot of stories. And this is our story, the Orangewood story, our past. You know, it's interesting that in the Bible, a generation is considered to be about 40 years. And so we have a generation that's, that's past. I want us to try to fulfill Psalm 78, verse 4. Let's start at verse 1. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. Let's pause there just for a second. These are two commands in the same verse, aren't they? They're really two commands do the same thing. God uses two imperatives, listen and incline, action verbs. So whenever God repeats something, we need to kind of lean in. Verse four, and tell to the next generation the praises of the Lord and his strength and the wondrous works which he, we, he has done. His name, Bob. The year, 1976. Where Bob Butterfield, really the founder of our church, and a group of about 20 people, with a young pastor who was uh, a week out of seminary with very little preaching experience, decided to start a church. And we didn't, first thing you do, you got to find a name for the church. And we did not want a, a generic name such as Westminster or Covenant or Trinity or something like that. We wanted a name that would so identify us with Orlando that if people heard it in years in years to come, whether it's people around Orlando or maybe around Florida, maybe that through the South, or maybe 40 years from now, maybe even in, in, in different in different mission posts around the world. So we uh, uh, we got in uh, uh, Bill Hall, Bill and Sharon Hall's living room, and we we decided that the best name that identifies with Orlando is Orange. Well, we can't just call it Orange Presbyterian Church. We've got to get something that goes with it. And I remember Sharon Hall getting on the floor and getting out a phone book. You, you millennials might not know what those are. <laughs> and going down the oranges, and, she got, and we got all the way to the end, and we said, there's no orange wood. That's it. Orange wood Presbyterian Church. And we rented a little facility on Colonial Drive, 20 feet wide, 80 feet deep. We always joke that it's like a bowling alley. And, uh, and there we were. The problem is, we didn't know how to start a church. And here we were. We had a big vision. I mean, I don't know. You know, we didn't have mission statements back then. But as I look back, our mission statement might have been to win the world for Christ, beginning from Orlando. A big vision, a lot of faith these, this small group had. And, you know, how do you do it? How do you start a church? Well, we decided to do it the old-fashioned way, just by telling everybody we knew, inviting people. We had a little brochure to church uh, and, and even knocking on doors. And 
when opportunity availed itself uh, to tell people about Jesus. I remember trying to um, get the word out about our church and I contacted just about every civic group in town asking if I could come and and, and and pray over their meal, give them thanks over their meal, whether it be a luncheon or a dinner or pre- a breakfast, whatever they, whenever they met. Uh, and uh, just kind of get the word out. I remember, not necessarily proud of this, but I'll tell you what I did. <laughs> there was a new Publix that was opening up on Colonial Drive. You've passed it a million times. And, uh, and they were going to have their grand opening a ribbon cutting ceremony. And I contacted Publix. I said, how would you like for me to uh, have a prayer of dedication? They said, oh, that's a great idea. Well, sure enough, that that Saturday morning came 10 o'clock a.m. And and a lot of people had gathered there. And I remember uh, they had the ribbon ceremoniously draped across the front door. And, I, and they asked me to pray. And I remember having one of those squeaky microphones, old microphones on a stand. And I remember praying something like this. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this Publix where we can, uh, we can find food to sustain us physically. And thank you, for the, thank you for the bread of life himself, Jesus, our Lord where we can hear about him every Sunday at Orangewood Presbyterian Church. (laughs) 128 East Colonial Drive, 1030 (laughs) M. Nursery provided. (laughs) By the end of that first year, we had 59 charter members. We were so pleased with that. And people would ask us, uh, well, how big is your church? I I used to tell them, oh, I don't know the number, but we tripled last year. <laughs> I remember even going to the PCA General Assembly after that first year. And, uh, you know, the domination's kind of annual convention and, and everybody was gathered. And we took a bushel basket of oranges and we set it up on a table in Fellowship Hall, which is where the break room, where all of these uh, commissioners would, would take a break during that week. And we taped a sign on that bushel basket uh, just on uh, three-hole punch notebook paper said, Oranges from Orangewood. I remember hearing, overhearing somebody uh, that took, a uh, man took an orange and he said, hmm, oranges from Orangewood. Now, where is that? And this other, this other man said, isn't that that church in Orlando that tripled last year? <laughs> We were off and running. Now, we were there from 76 to 82. In 1980, two significant things happened. Number one, the Chamber of Commerce, or there was a business group, I forget which it was, put out a, uh, some projections for what we thought, what they thought would be, uh, would, uh, you know, their projections of what would happen in the year 2000. People were starting to think about Y2K. And one of their projections, they, they thought that the center of the population of Greater Orlando would be somewhere around I-4 and Maitland Boulevard. We thought, by the grace of God, that's where we're going. <laughs> the second thing that happened is 
we started our school. Now, the conventional way to start a school is to do it one grade, especially back then, do one grade at a time and each year builds on itself. But we had one man in the Navy who had eight kids, six of which were in the elementary school. And he came to us and he said, if you'll start all six grades, I'll put all six of my kids in there. Well, we needed the kids and we needed the cash. <laughs> so we started six, all six grades in the fall of 1980. And we had a total of 18 students. We had two windowless Sunday school rooms that we started in. We had grades, nine kids in grades one, two, and three in one classroom. And grades four, five, and six in the other classroom. And, and, and it was a wonderful time. We had a great first year. The kids were growing and learning and a lot of individual attention and, uh, and the parents were happy and, and it was just going great until the second year. The man in the Navy that had eight kids was transferred. <laughs> You're welcome. So we went from 18 students down to 12 the second year. And it, it was a hard second year. So hard was it, we were thinking about the third year we really wrestled with, God, did we misread your will? And even starting a church, were we forcing our will to be your will? Haven't, haven't all of us done that? I sure have. I've done that on too many occasions. Force my will to be God's will. God, is that what we did about the school? God, if so, then give us the courage to close it down. If not, God, give us more students for this third year. Well, it just so happened that at that time, we were able to purchase the five acres next to the Greek church property, Holy Trinity Lane. And that next year, we had 54 students, grades one through six. We, 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 we were so big that we separated the classrooms now we had grades one and two together, three and four together, five and six together. And we were off and we were rolling. It came time for us uh, to, as we were growing, in fact, I remember that first Sunday in that new, in that building, which is brand new to us. And we were building it and, and, and we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to do a lot of things our own, not in the building stage, of course, but but once we got it and they turned over the key, I mean, we, we helped clean it. We helped, and it didn't have any landscape of one. We actually laid all that sod that's around that building. I mean, men, women, children. We had about 150 people back then. Then it came time to set up chairs. We bought 300 new chairs for that new facility. It came time to set those. We thought, how many should we set up? We don't want to set up too many that it might look empty. We said, set them all up, all 300. And you know something? That next day, 180 came. And within a couple of years, we did have about 300 people. So many that we had to start looking for more property, thinking about expansion. Now, the property uh, west of I-4 was just being developed as Maitland Center. And the property over there was very expensive, as you can imagine. Some some was up to $200,000 an acre. So we couldn't go west of I-4. But east of I-4, 
the city of Maitland had a height restriction of 35 feet. Our building is 33 feet. <laughs> we were hoping they wouldn't come and measure it in case we miscalculated. But uh, so we bought this property and God opened up uh, uh, the 17 and a half acre track. Track the Hope Strong family from Winter Park contacted us after we contacted them a few times during that year. And they said, we're willing to sell you that 17 and a half acre piece of property. And we'll sell it to you. We, we, we said, oh, that's great. How much? $100,000 an acre. And we will give you an additional gift of $25,000 an acre off of that. We were able to buy this property at $75,000 an acre. Such a great deal it was. We had visibility and accessibility. That's what you want in a church. Well, then it came time for think about what kind of facility are we going to build? And we said, gosh, it'd be nice to have a sanctuary. But a sanctuary only is used for a few hours on one day a week. And we've got this, uh, this growing school. We said, we need a multi-purpose facility. That seems like the best stewardship of our limited funds where we could have a gymnasium and then uh, on Sundays we could convert it to, uh, you know, to a worship center. Well, we didn't really know what to do or how to do it. So six of us piled in a van and took a week traveling around the South looking at multi-purpose facilities. We finally found one in Nashville, Christ Presbyterian Church. And they had the most unique thing that we'd ever seen, telescopic seating. Oh boy, that's it. We're going to build a big facility that can be a gymnasium all week. And then on Sunday, we're going to cover the floor, raise the baskets, cover the scoreboard, put some acoustical tile on the ceiling across the back, and then... We're going to push a button and 848 seats going to come out from the wall. And all of a sudden, we could see, you know, 11 or 1,200 people. But we decided from the get-go that we, uh, that we didn't want to be a mega church. So when it came time to uh, uh, build and we laid the, uh, the slab uh, and they were going up bricks, we really wanted a red brick church and school. And so uh, they got the slam there. They're going up with the bricks and all of a sudden the workers show up one morning and there's a crack in the wall. Well, they, you know, patched over that crack and, you know, and kept going. And a few days later, there's another crack. And they suspended construction and discovered that there was a sinkhole under this property. I mean, that was crushing to me. I mean, this group of faith and vision, uh, you know, we thought, what do you do? Do we move? Do we start over again with another slab on, on another piece of our property? It could be a single too. We decided, let's fill it. Well, we didn't know how big it was. You can't drop a man down there with a lantern <laughs> and look around. So we started pouring grout, concrete, down uh, into that hole that we, uh, we didn't know how big it was. 
And, and finally, it took about a thousand cubic yards of grout. I remember asking the building committee, I said, now, how much is a thousand cubic yards? You can't see it. And they said, well, Chuck, when you pull up on the street, you see a cement truck that's 10 cubic yards. Just imagine a hundred cement trucks up and down Maitland Boulevard pouring cement uh, down, uh, down a hole. But God was good and we, uh, you know, we, we made it. We built this facility and, and uh, God would seem to be really blessing uh, numerically. But we decided that we did not want to be a mega church. That our desire uh, was to win the world for Christ beginning from Orlando. And we didn't just want to have one central big church. We wanted to, have, we wanted to penetrate the great Orlando. So we decided to start daughter churches. By grace of God, over the years, we started a church in southwest Orlando with Bill Cole Clayter, spun out a few of our members to go down and start that. Then we brought Pete Alwinson on our staff for about six months or so and spun him out with a few of our members to start Willow Creek Presbyterian out in Tuscaloosa. And then, lo and behold, our youth pastor, Mark Bates, for four years, uh, we spun him out uh, to, to start a church, University Presbyterian Church. And then as soon as Jeff took over, uh, you know, he brought Ted Sin on our staff and spun him out with a few of our members to start City Church. Uh, those are four, uh, four churches that, uh, that when, when I get here every Sunday and I uh, sit back there in my pew, I, uh, I look around and say, gosh, there, there's some empty seats. Where is everybody? Then I realized that there are an additional about 1,500 people in our four daughter churches. And I say, praise God that we have penetrated and are penetrating. Then all of a sudden, there are a lot of churches and a lot of ministries uh, that are popping up and, and the city is growing and we got to be a part of it. Then I want to mention... Um, Three men that really helped grow this church. Uh, first, Vaughn Stanley, who was here on our staff for many years, uh, coordinating our evangelism and outreach ministry when, at a time where we really needed it. And uh, he's sorry he couldn't be here. He can't, he could not be here this weekend. Another one is Carl Smith, who was here 27 years. And he came when we were still in the storefront. Um, you know, but the Great Commission says to make disciples of all nations. Now, there are two parts of discipleship. The first is the evangelism part, but the second is the follow-up part. Now, I was, I was, I wanted to do the evangelism. I wanted to do the preaching. I wanted to maintain the vision. Uh, but I wasn't very good at the follow-up. And thankfully, I realized that pretty soon after I'd messed up some people's lives. Uh, and we hired Carl Smith and he says, what's my job description? We said to build an infrastructure in this church. And that's what he did. Developed uh, teaching courses and Bible studies and, and small groups. And, and, he did, and he designed this officer training class uh, that, was, that became kind of a model for many churches. 
And uh, what a great job he did. I also want to acknowledge Joe Creech. You know, the Great Commission says to make disciples of all nations. Well, we didn't know how to do that. Uh, we didn't know how to. We wanted to have a global ministry, win the world for Christ, we thought. Uh, but we didn't know how to do it. But we know somebody. We knew somebody who did. A guy we were in seminary with, Joe Creech. And he went to the mission field. And, uh, and it was there for eight years. Uh, Acapulco. Um, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I tease him. Uh, we've all teased him so much. Uh, but he and Rita uh, went down to Acapulco to start a church in the middle of Hispanic Roman Catholicism with such deep roots. And God blessed them. They started a church, and, and 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 now four more. There are five churches in the midst of that of that Roman Catholic culture that he and Rita got to start. We praise God that uh, God intervened and brought it here. And, and their lives are going along great. They lived two blocks from the beach, had a full-time maid for a dollar a day. And, and God was really blessing uh, everything they were doing as much as we tease them until God intervened and brought him here. He said, what's my job description? We said, to win the world for Christ, to develop a global ministry from this church. And my friends, in 30 years, we, we have financially supported dozens and dozens of missionaries uh, in 21 different countries. And not just financially support them, but as part of Joe's philosophy to, that we need to go and visit them. We really need to partner with them. We need to offer them the resources uh, that we have in an American church of our size. And so uh, there, have been, there have been 150 missions trips from this church over the last 30 years. And the global ministry we now have began with that man right over there. And then there's Jeff. I had the pleasure of uh, officiating the ceremony for uh, him and Katie 29 years ago and got to watch him as this ambitious young businessman, hard charging as you can only imagine. Everything was going good. They bought a house. They ran a bunch of babies. Uh, they, and everything was going to do until God intervened in their life. God called him here to be our youth pastor. He said, well, I don't have any training. We said, Jeff, here's your signing bonus. We'll pay for your seminary education. Not realizing it'd take him eight years. <laughs> and he was here for 10 years as our youth pastor until God called him here to be our senior pastor. And I've got to tell you, again, as I, as I sit back there and I, I, I watch Jeff and, and again... 
when he started, he had very little preaching experience, uh, just like I hadn't, and he'd never overseen a staff. And and and, and now he was he had a pretty big staff by then. In fact, as a youth pastor, youth pastor generally on the bottom rung of the ladder, and all of a sudden overnight he's promoted to be their boss. And we got to watch him become such a good preacher as he is now and a great leader of our staff and an even better shepherd of this flock. He loves this flock. He loves each of us, prays for each one of us uh, as occasion might, might avail. And, and he just cares for us. It's been great to see him and watch him develop as our shepherd and as a preacher if there's one thing that's been interwoven in his sermons from the get-go uh, all the way through and continue is uh, something that's been emblazoned on his heart from the very beginning. And that's what he communicated to us, that it's for Christ and his kingdom. It's not about us. And he and Jack and our worship team spend so many hours uh, a week just in preparation for our Sunday morning worship. And and just to make sure that Christ-centered and not man-centered, that our worship is vertical, not horizontal. How tempting it is for each of us, and myself maybe is the worst sinner about this, to come to church for what I can get out of it rather than what God can give God and what we can give God. And they strive to maintain that it's Christ. It's not about us. And that our worship is Christ-centered. We don't come, we shouldn't come to get, we should come to give. Give God praise. Give him worship for who he is, for what he's done in our lives. No matter how bad it is at the time, we need to worship and praise him and thank him and gather as a church. To do that. I must. I must confess to you. That there are times that. uh, uh, That I slip into. um, Perhaps. Egotistical mode. And there are times that. I. um, I pause. And I look all around here. I say wow. God used me to help build all of this. And my friends, if God can use me, I mean, look at me. If God can use me, he can use anybody, even you. Tomorrow morning, we turn the page as we've been concentrating this weekend on looking back and fulfilling Psalm 78 to praise him for his wondrous works, which he has done, we now turn the page and we begin a new chapter in our story, don't we? We begin a new generation called our future. And it's so important that each one of us realize our privilege as a member of this church and also our responsibility. And again, it's so tempting just to avail ourselves of all the privileges of the church. And yet some 
of us do not take up the mantle of responsibility. But we need to realize that God has given us this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And as he's given us this gift, with every gift, there are privileges, of course, but there are also responsibilities to be a good steward of his gift. And it's important uh, that all of us take part. Every member has a sense of ownership of this church, of this gift that he's given us. I know most of you are are plugged in to this church, the ministries of this church. But I also know some of you are not. I want to encourage you in this chapter to get engaged, to realize your responsibility to participate and help this church in its growth, to get on the train, man. The more people we have on this train, the more efficiently this train will run, the faster this train will go. And I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means to sign up for one of the ministries, maybe the, the greeting ministry or, or an usher uh, or to volunteer in the children's ministry or the youth group or, or the school or, or maybe even in the fellowship hall ministry to help when we have, when we have meals and, uh, and receptions, especially with, with funerals when we have a reception. I mean, I'm amazed every month when we have communion that we come in and uh, all of a sudden the table is set there. Uh, Somebody had to get here early to prepare it. And then after we finish in the early service, they've got about 15 minutes to turn it all around and do it again for the second service, get it all set up before we get in here. Well, somebody's got to do it just on that. I don't have a clue who they are. But you know, they do it for Christ and his kingdom. They serve us. But it's really for Christ and his kingdom. It's not about us. Oh, my friends, if you want to, if you really want to get engaged, uh, you let one of the pastors know. Maybe write, write your name on a, a, a corner of the bulletin and give it to a pastor. Put in the offering plate next week. Uh, say, I'm interested. I'd like to know more about this ministry. I'd like to join a small group. Whatever it may be, get plugged in. Take your privilege, but also your responsibility seriously to be a good steward of this gift that he's given us. Lamentations 3 says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, We thank you for this, your church. Oh God, we thank you as we look back at some of the the wondrous works, God, just a few of the wondrous works. We think of those early pioneers of this church with their faith and their vision in you and and how this church has evolved under your headship. And now, Lord, as we do turn the page of this, of this storybook, uh, your, your church, our story, part two.
our future. Oh, Jesus, be pleased to bless this church, God. May we be a church individually and as a church, a corporate body that seeks to, that seeks to glorify you, that puts, uh, puts you first, Jesus, for you and for your kingdom. Oh, God, bless Jeff and Joe and Jack and Dave and Jared and all those who labor behind the scenes invisibly as they serve us, Lord, bless them. Give them great blessing as they do it for you and for your kingdom. Oh, indeed, Lord Jesus, your kindnesses never cease. Your compassions do not fail. They are truly new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We pray in your name. Amen.